If you have a Bible, you can go and open it to John 17. Uh, This morning's passage, we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 26 in John 17. Uh, We've been studying John's gospel together all year, and today we have come to the end, the, the climax of Jesus' last prayer. He's on his way to a a gruesome death where he will suffer the wrath of God and Jesus prays for himself, for his apostles, and as we're about to read right now, if you're a Christian here today, he prays for you. So follow as I read John 17 starting in verse 20. Jesus, praying, now prays, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their, the apostles' message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, even as you have loved have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Well, I wonder what your plans for retirement are. I mean, we live in the retirement capital of the world here in Florida. Surely you've thought about it, even for a moment. Some of us here maybe already are retired. What were your plans, right? 20, 30 years ago, when when you knew the time was going to come, that that my career would end, that I would clock out for one last time, how did you think you were going to spend the rest of your life? Well, according to Kick. Kiplinger.com, here are the top things, top things you're supposed to be doing in retirement. One, pick up a new language. English wasn't hard enough for you already. Two, learn to drive a motorcycle. Three, find a new job. (laughs) Just seems to run against the whole point of getting retired. Four, run for local office, because you know politics is incredibly stress-free right now. And five, babysit. Now, I don't know about you, none of those things make me want to start planning for an early retirement right now. So this week, I wrote down my list of five things that I intend to do in retirement. Okay, want to hear them? One, move somewhere bitterly cold. (laughs) 
Two, learn how to catch my own lobster. Three, own many leather-bound books. Four, find my lost pipe. It has been five years and I still can't find that thing. Five, have a blood sugar count low enough that I can still eat Stroopwafels after dinner every night. And if you don't know what Stroopwafels are, they are a delicious little Dutch cookie with a caramel filling on the inside. Go to the grocery store after the service, get some, because the good news is there's enough sugar in them to keep you up the whole night so you can finish the whole box in one sitting. Well, in the passage we just read, Jesus Christ is planning for retirement. At least that's how it looks. In John's gospel, Jesus has been sent into the world on a specific mission to reveal God to humanity and to redeem humanity to God. And in the passage we looked at last week, Jesus prays earlier in chapter 17, Father, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. The last supper's over, the dishes are being cleaned, Judas is left to betray him, and Jesus knows at this moment that he is now mere hours from being stretched limb to limb, crucified for our sins, to then be resurrected and ascend back to his Father in heaven. Mission accomplished, right? Jesus' death on the cross will both be the ultimate revelation of God to us and the redemption of us to God. So the job's done. And now Jesus has ascended to the spiritual Florida, heaven, to sit at the right hand of the Father and enjoy a quiet, secluded life of spiritual retirement, right? Uh, Well, to quote Winston Churchill, this isn't the end or even the beginning of the end. It is the end of the beginning. Jesus' mission is just getting kicked off. From the word go in the Bible, God himself has been on a mission to be known. Not just factually, but relationally. In the Old Testament, God saves a people, Israel, and through the utter kindness and generosity of his heart, decides to make himself known to them. But the whole point was never just that that one tiny little country would know God, but that eventually all the nations would. That God's people would eventually be found in every crack and corner and crevice of our world. This is the missionary heartbeat of the Bible. As Habakkuk 2.14 puts it, there will come a day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And John's gospel has been telling us that God is now making himself known Through Jesus Christ. That as we read in John 1, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, He has made Him known. This is the mission Jesus is on to make God known, 
to, to come to a, a spiritual flop like me with the good news that God in Christ has done everything needed, everything needed for me to be irrevocably accepted and delighted in by God. This is the one mission that Jesus Christ is on. And as this morning's passage is going to show us, he's still on. Uh, Jesus, moments away from bearing the sin of the world, is praying. And after praying for himself and for his apostles, he looks forward and he prays for all Christians to come across all times, saying, my prayer is not for them alone, the apostles. My prayer is for those who will believe in me through their message. I mean, hours away from enduring the wrath of God. If you're a Christian here this morning, Jesus Christ was not leaving you 10 steps to success or 12 rules for life. He was praying for you. I mean, come on. Don't you want to know what he was praying? Verse 21. That all of them may be one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is praying, in other words, that he'll be seen in his church. Because as people see us, they see Jesus. And as people see Jesus, they see the Father and God's great mission of being personally known by you, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, continues on then through Jesus Christ and his church until one day the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, Jesus, right now, ascended in heaven, sitting at the Father's right hand, retired? No. Uh, he, he hasn't hung up the cleats for one last time. Uh, he hasn't clocked out to a secluded life of fishing and golf, uninterested and, and uninvolved in our world. No, Jesus is alive and active in your life, in our community, completing his mission through us. And so if we want to join him on this mission, then there's two things that we need to see about it in this morning's passage. First, his plan. Second, his purpose. All right, so first, Jesus' plan. Jesus' whole scheme, his whole plan is this, our unity. All right, twice Jesus prays in the opening verses here for the unity of the church, that they may be one. This unity of you and us as a church, in other words, was an urgent issue for Jesus, uh, now, philosophers, sociologists uh, will tell you that the way that modern people, uh, like me and you, come to understand who we are, in other words, the way that we get a sense of identity in life, is actually through division. Right? In our modern individualistic culture, we, we are constantly searching for some sort of us, 
that we can be a part of to, to help us make sense of who we are, but that can't happen without us also then creating some sort of them for us to distinguish ourselves from. I mean, we, we know this to be true. We see it all over the place, in, right? Are you mask or no mask? Are you kneel or stand? Are you choice or life? And so the, the author and, and uh, scholar Mirzlav Wolf says that when we make these us and them divisions, try to figure out who we are, we end up paradoxically doing two different things to people. On the one hand, we over-separate ourselves, meaning we refuse to see what we have in common with other people, what we share together with them. But then on the other hand, we, we over-bind people Meaning we refuse to allow ourselves and other people to be different than us and for that to just be okay. The problem is it's not just a matter of preference. We turn this into a moral issue. We do all of it, Wolf says, to try to get a sense of self-worth, to try to feel better about ourselves. And it's not just me and you, it's everyone. We are immersed in a society of people who are trying to figure out who they are in division to, in opposition to the people around them. And so now imagine Jesus Christ looking forward into the future and praying for us today. What he is praying for could not be more radical or countercultural. But when you see the root of our unity, you see why this was such an urgent matter for Jesus. Twice Jesus prays that the church would be one, and twice he prays that on the same basis. That all of them may be one, he says in verse 21, Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us. The, the unity that Jesus is praying for here is actually not our unity with one another. It's a unity far more important than that. The unity he is praying about here that we would have is our unity with God himself. Here is the incredible reversal of grace that happens when you become a Christian. Jesus Christ dies and rises for your sins, lives in you through the Holy Spirit in order that people who were once estranged from God, now through his undeserved mercy get caught up into the divine unity that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have among themselves. That you actually, when you become a Christian, get swept up into the shared love and purpose and agenda within God, where we now get to, we now get to experience for ourselves the affection and commitment that Father, Son, and Spirit have for one another in our life. It's this vertical unity that roots then our horizontal unity. The reason we are one as a church isn't because we have similar hobbies or interests, because we like the same style of worship service, as great as all those things are. The reason we are one, the reason we are supposed to have this common love and purpose and agenda with one another 
is because we are people who through the unexpected generosity of God in Jesus have been swept up together into the life of unity in God himself. Meaning, in other words, there is this spiritual unity with God that you and I all share with one another so that if we were to live in division, we would actually be denying the unity that God himself has forged at infinite cost to himself. And yet so often that's the reality of what happens, isn't it? As Jesus continues, he prays in verse 23, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Translation, our unity isn't perfect. It's incomplete. There's division that exists among us as Christians, as a church. Uh, you know how an autoimmune disease works? It's when the white blood cells in your body that are supposed to protect you uh, get confused and instead attack your body. The worst thing that could happen for us as a church is when the members of our body start to attack one another. And yet the last two years have showed us how easily that can happen in any church. How quickly we can lose sight of what we have in common as sufferers and sinners who have been unconditionally united to God. And how insecure we can become, I can become, about the places where I'm different from other Christians. But if we as a church want our unity then to be complete, then we need to run right to the gospel. The gospel that has not only made us one, but will keep us one. The gospel that will fulfill Jesus' prayer here, that our unity would be made complete. And here's how that works. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, in one sense, it was a profound statement about our sin. That we are so flawed and guilty and even the best things we do shot through with selfish motives that the only thing that could save us was God himself dying for us. Yet at the same time, the cross is also a profound statement about our worth to God. That we are so valuable to him, he would spare no expense to have us. You know, if you have a family dog and uh, you bring it into the vet and they come out and tell you, I am so sorry, this dog is terribly sick. It's going to cost you $10,000 to heal your dog. Uh, if you didn't like that dog, even if you liked it a decent amount, you're thinking, well, this is the end of the road of that one. You know, is there an SPCA around the corner? We can find a new one. But if you loved that dog, if, if, if you couldn't imagine life without that dog, then your next question is, well, where do I pay? And on the cross, God looked at us and said, I can't imagine life without you, so where do I pay? And let me tell you what this does then. 
This both humbles us and secures us like nothing else can. So that now, because of the cross, we can become a people who accept when someone else has different thoughts on us, on, on masks or critical race theory or whatever the hot issue is right now, because the cross, in one sense, has deflated me of how fragile a self-worth built on those things really are, and yet at the same time grounded me in the love of God that frees me to embrace other people when they're different. I mean, where else can you find that? Where else can you find something that so humbles you and yet so secures you? Can your political party give you that? Can your philosophy of life give you that? Can your atheism give you that? No. Only Jesus can do that. So in the reality of our unity, that it's still incomplete, we need to press deeper into the gospel. Because here's what's at stake. Here's the reason for our unity. Jesus says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The reason for our unity is that Jesus would be known. That his identity would be known. That he has been sent by the Father. That he is the, the unthinkably gracious self-revelation of God to people like you and me who never could have deserved that, completing now his mission to be known in our world. In other words, you could connect the dots this way. When we live in unity, when people see us in unity, they see Jesus. And when people see Jesus, they see the Father. And so if we were to let division fester in us as a church, it would cloud people over from seeing Jesus. And if they can't see Jesus, then they can't see the Father that he's come to reveal. You know, imagine for a second you're looking up at the sky at night and you're staring at the moon, okay? And then a big cloud comes over, a dark cloud, and covers up the moon. And you can't see it anymore. Well, in that moment, you now can not only not see the moon, but you have no experience now of the light of the sun that the moon is here to reveal. And in the same way, if, if we were to live as a church in division, then we cloud people over from seeing Jesus. And if they can't see Jesus, they can't see the love of the Father that he's meant to reveal. So the reason for our unity is that the identity of Jesus would be known and that the benefits of Jesus would be known. At the end of verse 23, uh, Jesus says something that you, you could spend an entire lifetime trying to comprehend and it wouldn't be nearly enough time. He says, Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What Jesus is praying for here 
is something so breathtakingly astonishing that if it seems too hard, hard to believe, you're probably actually starting to get it. Through the gospel, God loves us, imperfect and incomplete on our best days. God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. That in Matthew 3, when Jesus Christ comes up from his baptism and, and the voice comes down from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is saying here, by faith, God is saying the same over you right this moment. You are my son, my daughter, whom I love, whom I'm well pleased with. You know, there's this, uh, there's this great scene. It's the very last scene in the last season of The Crown. So, spoiler alert, but it's been out for a while, so cut me some slack. Where Prince Philip uh, confronts Princess Diana, who, if you remember, I mean, she's beautiful, captivating, magnetic personality, and, and is drawing this storm of controversy because of all the attention that, that she is bringing to herself. And Philip essentially tells her, I don't think you understand what it means to live in this family. You're, you're, you're drawing way too much attention to yourself. You, you don't get it. When you're in this family, everything is about the queen. Okay? The closer you get to the crown, the more of a nobody you become. Well, in verse 23... Jesus saying, when it comes to me, it's just the opposite. The closer you get to me, the more of a somebody that you become. Because by faith, we receive the benefits of Jesus' cross and resurrection, meaning God loves us now with the same intensity, same commitment. He loves Jesus. And let me tell you, that will not change whether you were a complete spiritual idiot yesterday or whether tomorrow you think you get everything right. God's love and delight over you in Christ is now unwavering and undaunted by the worst of you because it is dependent on Jesus Christ sharing with you the best of himself. You could spend the rest of your life just trying to work that all out. I'll tell you it won't happen. But if you meditate on it long enough, it will utterly change you. And so when we live in unity, we are letting the immeasurable benefits of Jesus be seen and known. That we are so secure in the love of God in Christ a love that cannot fail, that will not let us go, that we now have a security like nothing else to accept our differences because we're not trying to use them anymore to build an identity off of them that's really just one big house of glass. No, we are secure in a love so big that it sent God's only son for us, so strong that it raised him up from the dead and so certain that it's promised us one day everything will be made new. Do you get it now? This is why our unity is so urgent to Jesus because he hasn't retired. Uh, he, he hasn't ascended to a secluded life of books and bridge. No, he is on mission today to make God known. 
until the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And his plan is our unity. So Jesus' plan, secondly then, to close, Jesus' purpose. If his plan is our unity, then Jesus' purpose to his mission is our destiny. In verse 24, Jesus continues praying. And he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. This is the the destination Jesus' mission is moving you toward, that one day by faith you will be with Jesus and you will see Jesus for all his glory. Here's the thing. What's on offer here is actually something better uh, than the disciples who lived with Jesus, who even walked and talked and ate with the resurrected Jesus, ever got to see. Because the glory that Jesus is praying, we will see, is the same glory that he's already prayed for back in verse 5. The glory he had before the world began. The glory that John 12 tells us the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament saw when, when he got a glimpse for a moment of Jesus Christ in heaven and the sight of it was so powerful, so awe-inducing, so beautiful that it knocked Isaiah on his face in worship. This is the destination Jesus' mission is moving you toward. Having an exposure to the full glory of Jesus that unlike COVID, I won't risk killing you, but actually make you more whole. It's what the theologian Jonathan Edwards called the happifying. It's a made-up word, but just let's go with it, right? He's smart. The happifying sight. Because when we see Jesus in all his glory, it's in that moment we'll realize all the good things that we've ever known in this life will be revealed as mere shadows next to the substance that is Jesus. It's in that moment that that desire will turn into satisfaction, longing into delight, hope, into realization that paraphrasing Edwards, seeing Jesus in all his glory will be so great that it will take full possession of our heart, filling it to the brim so that there will be no room for any sorrow, no crack or corner for anything but joy. And isn't that the longing that is deep down in the bottom of every heart in here, that we would be swallowed up in something so beautiful that all we would have to say in response is, this is amazing. This is the destination. That one day, broken and suffering people like you and me will be mesmerized at the glory of Jesus. So how do we get there? Uh, Well, our hearts 
work off this assumption, the assumption that I think a lot of us have, that the way that we will make it to the end, the way that we will see Jesus is through me and my own spiritual sweat, right? The Christian life, it's hard. It's grinding it out one day at a time. It's, it's waking up each morning, looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I'm going to try to do better, measure up more, reach down deep inside of myself, grab my soul by the scruff of the neck, and live as committed a life to Jesus as possible. In other words, I, you, you don't have to agree with this. I know it because it's what happens in my own heart. What I constantly am tempted to believe is that what is going to propel me to a, on this journey to eventually meeting Jesus will be me and my commitment. You want to hear what Jesus says will help you reach this destination? Verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them. Jesus is saying here, you know how you reach the end? I get you there. The destination is his glory, and the journey is his grace. Because what Jesus is saying here, that he has made the Father known to them and will continue to make him known to them, is that every time you open up God's word, It is actually the ascended Jesus Christ himself through the Holy Spirit in his unbelievable kindness toward you, stooping down to you in words that you can understand and showing you more and more and more and more of himself. It's what theologians call the the ongoing prophetic ministry of Jesus, meaning basically that he still speaks today through his word, from heaven to you by the Holy Spirit, in order that, he prays, the love that you have for me, Father, may be in them, the hope of humanity, and that I myself may be in them, the hope of history. I mean, this is why we we talk so much here about literally gluing yourself to your Bible, not to discover in it, Some compilation of good moral stories to live by. Well, David was a nice guy, and I should be a nice guy too, and that's how I'm going to grow as a Christian, right? No, because every time you open it, it is the ascended Jesus himself speaking to you, revealing, showing you both your profound need of him and his provocative gift of himself to you. All because... He wants you to be there in the end with him. Because to quote the old pastor, Frederick Buchner, Jesus decided it's not as good a party without you. And so I'm going to make sure you get there. Jesus' plan, our unity. Jesus' purpose, our destiny. So retired? Uninvolved, uninterested in our world, Jesus? No, he, he is alive and on mission today. The unthinkably gracious mission of God the Father to reveal himself to sufferers and sinners 
like you and me so that we could know him personally, intimately, savingly. The one mission that Jesus Christ in heaven is continuing right now through us, through his church, until it will be completed in his return when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a Savior. Thanks be to Christ. Would you pray with me? God, you are truly gracious. We, we don't deserve for a second you making yourself known to us, desiring relationship with us, and yet out of the generosity and kindness of your own heart, you are doing just that through Jesus Christ who ascended at your right hand, is on mission today through our unity, for our destiny. Holy Spirit, humble us and secure us in the message of the gospel so that as the world sees us, they would see Jesus, and as they see Jesus, they would see the love of the Father. Amen.